0: Welcome, one and all, to Continued Life in the Slipstream here on the Playlist Podcast Network. This is a TV recapping show. My name is Chance Solemn-Pfeiffer. And I'm Noah Ballard. And we're the hosts of Be Real, a show that is normally on this network, along with The Fourth Wall, Indie Beat, The Discourse. Please subscribe to the feed and rate wherever you may get your shows. But it's more television this week, as television continues to to rule the day. Um, it's a
1: golden age of television.:
0: Well, it's, it's wasn't that age. Wasn't that 10 years ago? But, hey, yeah. for people like me who struggle with television, why not watch TV about movies, you know?:
1: If you can't be watching a movie, the next best thing is watching a TV show about making movies.:
0: So, so you have now said, we are here to talk about Hollywood the new uh, Ryan Murphy miniseries on Netflix. It is borderline sort of fantasy recreation of life in Hollywood in 1947, uh, starring quite the cast of people um, with lots of specific emphasis, emphases on actors and writers of color, uh, gay writers and actors sort of like making their way through this oppressive world where they can't be themselves and And getting together to make a film. So that's the outline. Seven episodes, hour long. Uh, Noah, can we start with Ryan Murphy?
1: Yeah, I mean, Ryan Murphy sort of begs the question of what would a person do if Netflix gave them uh, 10 projects and $300 million (laughs) to play with? And the answer (laughs) first was um, The Politician and now it's Hollywood. We'll see how the other six turn out or the other eight turn out.
0: So how much uh, Ryan Murphy, for those who do not know, is a sort of a television empresario of the modern age. Like he has directed films like Eat, Pray, Love. He does write some episodes. He wrote some episodes with Ian Murphy on on this show, but he is uh, a Shonda Rhimes-esque figure. Um, Ian
1: Brennan, you mean?
0: Yes, I did. Sorry. My bad. But yeah, in sort of like a weird wraparound to this era like when the the producer like a Louis B. Mayer had all the the power that's sort of like Ryan Murphy so um how much Ryan Murphy have you seen and what do you like
1: I absolutely love this may surprise you Nip Tuck the FX show how about Uh, that About the two Miami plastic surgeons. I think I've seen every episode multiple times because I own them all on DVD.
0: How about that? So you go way back.
1: I kind of dropped off with the new normal and like Glee. Yeah. Glee was never my thing. And then I can't say that I ever saw Scream Queens. Love Normal Heart. Love the uh, the OJ Simpson thing.
0: I would say People versus O.J. Simpson American Crime Story is kind of when he became like a household
1: name. Or an idea a- of like again or yeah. Yeah, I like, don't know. I think he was already kind of there at least in TV, but yeah, he became like a something else with the O.J.
0: Right. Right. Like an a, a a new idea in this streaming age of like what a what a limited series could be, how big it could be, how much it could draft off uh, history
1: recently or later that people would really like when you can see like some netflix executive watching people vs oj and being like fuck yeah like if we were ever looking for a company man this is it right. put out 10 disparate mini series that could be longer shows maybe uh and just see what happens and he's such an interesting He's such an interesting creator because he understands these genres really well. He's playing, he's always playing with some genre. And I just happen to to really like the Golden Age Hollywood genre, uh, whether it's done by the Coen brothers, uh, wh- whoever. And I think, yeah, this is Ryan Murphy's swing at our understanding of like the birth of studio cinema. Yeah,
0: even if you don't like love the final product. Like there's no denying he's very good at playing in buckets. We haven't even talked about American horror story, which is just an absolute smash hit.
1: Yeah. has that sort of repertoire, repertory cast, which is so fascinating. Yeah. And a different story every season.
0: American crime story, uh, is at the absolute sort of spearhead of, uh, you know, a lot of film actors gravitating toward television and the obsession with true crime. Um, there was there been have there been three of those yet or just OJ and assassination of Gianni Versace?
1: I don't think the Versace one was as successful, and I'm not sure like without Ryan Murphy there because he's tied up with Netflix for God knows how long that they may do another one. But it did launch Darren Criss, who appears on this show. It did launch Darren Criss, who's now here in uh, in Hollywood.
0: <laughs> this town's all about dreams, and some of my customers don't just come here for gas.
1: What's the password again? Dreamland. Dreamland. I want to go to Dreamland. Get in the car with them, have a drink maybe.
0: You know, sometimes, sometimes you have to service. No. I came here to be a movie star. I want to take the story of Hollywood and give it a rewrite. Ace has a picture that we're very excited about. It's about fame and what Hollywood does to people. This is our screenwriter, Archie Coleman. Pleasure to meet you. You're colored. I love it. Rolling! If we change the way... All right, so we're going to go episode by episode here, even though this is a very bingeable show, but we'll try to give you some some ep breaks. So we start in uh, Golden Age Hollywood, 1947, and this, it really starts with like a big swing of like have you ever heard of movies and (laughs) you see uh the actor david corn who's fairly uh fairly new actor um but he He was in the
1: politician
0: do you like the politician did you like that
1: i guilty pleasure like the politician i'll watch as many i i feel the same way about the politician as i did about nip talk like i didn't feel good about watching it but i watched the hell out of it
0: he plays, David Quarrensville plays a young World War II vet uh, named Jack Costello. And um, we open at him, you know, killing time in the middle of the day at the movies with this uh, awestruck look on his face, um, dreaming of being a movie
1: star. Just for clarity, though. Yes. actually, Jack Costello.
0: Which he's supposed to be. And we'll talk a lot about who people are, quote unquote, supposed to be. He's supposed to be like this James Dean, Marlon Brando new generation and he certainly looks pretty great i don't think he has any of that like rawness that redefined acting forever at all
1: no and he certainly doesn't have any interest in the craft which is kind of funny if you think he's like a brando type because he just seems to like wander in and out of coffee shops and bars just like you see that sad and then getting parts
0: Yeah, is he that much better than rock hudson i don't think so
1: no and though rock Hudson on the other end of it is sort of portrayed as the real like person interested in the work.
0: It's odd. <laughs> it um, is odd. But Jack Castello is just trying to get on, on the lot at Ace studios, which I believe is supposed to be paramount more or less uh, looking for to be an extra on a given day. He can't get picked out just sort of like um, Russell Crowe looking to work the docks and Cinderella man. He can't get pointed nice. at
1: nice Um, reference um thank
0: you
1: and then yeah he runs into this guy who we sort of forged a friendship with who's like figured out how to be the extra but like you can tell we'll never go any further than that
0: he doesn't go further in the show.
1: (laughs) yeah and he's got this pregnant wife and they've just moved to la and she's working at schwab's but she can't Work because the doctors ordered bed rest, so they're really like hard up for cash. Right. So somebody tells Jack to go to this gas station for work. Turns out, gas station run by just the sexiest Dylan McDermott you've ever seen Looks very uh, good. is a like a a brothel, a, a, a house of house of pleasure. whatever, house of pleasure. Yeah, so these like strapping young men cater to mostly older women and queer men who are not allowed to do that openly. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is then reveals this sort of like crypt system that links everything else in Los Angeles. Yeah.
0: Let's just talk about Dylan McDermott because I think that he understands the tenor of this show in a way that like a lot of the other actors do not. I mean, This is a show like full of these propulsive but also compulsive zooms. You talked the other day about how you think it's sort of a pastiche to that era of filmmaking, but I think it's also like very of the moment and very Netflix and very much like this is the feeling we want you to feel right now. And Dylan McDermott is like on board. He's just like, So I should either like sultrally whisper or scream all my lines, and should I like yell about my I'm sorry children 12 inch cock like right away the first time you meet me Um, I think he kind of understands that the proceedings in their own way are like a kind of schlock and I like it
1: this TV show also presents one of my favorite things in movies and TV where the actor who's acting the part on the TV show has to then act as if they're like acting more because they're in another movie or TV show He's great. But at Yeah, that. I think he's really good at doing the thing where it's like, hey, I'm Dylan McDermott. I'm going to give you like this, this slutty wink and like get what I want. <laughs> but then he like can be more serious later. And then he's actually given some interesting range of emotions to go through with the plight that this character ultimately has to deal with.
0: Sure. Um, we meet uh, Patty LuPone. Uh, she plays Avis. Incredible. Avis is the uh, the wife of the head of Ace Studios. She's played by Rob Reiner. We don't meet him for a while, but she's a a customer at the the Golden Tip at the gas station. And so, oh yeah,
1: don't forget that the gas station slash brothel is called the Golden Tip.
0: And uh, you know, spends a a paid for afternoon with Jack Castello, and they kind of he gets his first like larger look at the town, and she's just like, I had a dream once. Holy shit. Everyone in this show had a dream once what what was oh yeah, did you, did you have an exhaustion point by which you were like, "Please stop talking about your dreams?"
1: Well, I thought they had an interesting i mean this is episodes from now, but an interesting moment where they kind of played that for laughs with uh with Sheldon, old Sheldon, <laughs> uh-huh where he's it sort of throws back in your face this confession that he has about his dead lover and then he leads rock hudson to the room with those guys It's kind of a funny like not everybody like everybody's got a story to dream but they're not all like good people. I don't know
0: man, I think the show goes out of its way to kind of cheaply redeem him too, but whatever.
1: Oh oh that's a whole other thing we that, could talk that's about. That's a can of worms. Right. Um didn't you think though that a lot of the, I guess I was expecting Jack Castello to have more of a pushback to the whole lifestyle change, shall we say, that this new job requires. And he never seems, you know, like nervous with Patti Lapone. He's just like, hey, I'm hanging out. And like, right. I guess we can have sex if you want, but I'm conflicted about it. Potentially, the one of the largest takeaways
0: of this whole series is how seamlessly one can become a happy and successful gigolo.
1: Yeah. Or just like go along with a predatory system.
0: One of the episode one things I have to talk about, a lot of times I felt like I knew exactly where this show was going. Because a lot of it is very predictable and, and very tropey. But I got to give credit to episode one. At one point, after refusing to service one Cole Porter, Jack rents (laughs) a police officer costume, goes to a a theater uh, frequented by gay customers like looking to hook up, and uh, holds a young black man at gunpoint and walks him down the street, and I'm just like... For a show that ten seconds ago was like, "Have you ever heard of black and white movies? I'm like, "What in God's name is happening
1: <laughs> right now? It does take some weird swings like that to be unpredictable. Um, but fake that turns point, I out, say. yeah, fake gunpoint for sure. But I guess maybe where you got tired pretty quickly of uh, some of like the heart of gold backstory was how quickly the show devolves into a sitcom where in every episode there's, like, a goofy little cliffhanger, but, like, by the next episode, everything's back to normal. Yeah. This, so, like, yeah. this one, too, was kind of like a... Is Ryan Murphy saying something about race or police here? And he's just like, no, he's just saying something about costumes. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: that's a good way to put that. Uh, but this young man that he meets is is archie who is a aspiring screenwriter who has a script peg about the real life um actress who took her life in the 40s peg entwhistle um and he has it in the studio system but they don't know that he's black right like it's somewhere in the development pipeline It's
1: sitting yeah it's sitting in a pile somewhere okay gotcha
0: all right everyone roll camera
1: Studio is risking everything. We're already seeing pushback, and suddenly everything goes dark again.
0: So yeah, then episode two starts, and we get like a deeper look into the studio system. As you said, there's this this bullpen of contract workers, kind of just hanging out all day, looking to looking to get their break, doing some like walk-on parts in these in these movies, and we also meet. Uh, Raymond Ainsley, who's an aspiring director played by uh, Darren Chris. He's trying to make a movie with an Asian star played by Anna Mae Wong, who's a, a real Hollywood figure from the era who uh, pushed back against playing a lot of Asian stereotypes, and her career kind of collapsed because of it. She's an interesting figure. She'll come back. Um, but yeah, the different people we meet in the on the lot are Samara Weaving, who plays... Patty LuPone's daughter, we meet uh, Lauren Harrier, who you might remember from Black Klansman, she plays uh, Camille Washington, who they're also kind of going out for some of the same parts Um, She's great She is We also get uh, Roy Fitzgerald in the mix who becomes Rock Hudson
1: You said you didn't like Jake Picking, but I I think that's a cool part and that he plays it interestingly especially in When his relationship develops uh, more with Archie, there's that scene where they're like reading the script together and he like really, he digs deep. He's an actor doing acting.
0: Yeah, I don't think he does a bad job at like sort of um, being kind of naive and like really taking a pummeling from the studio system. I just didn't. Too much chin acting, do you think? (laughs) My problem with him is more that I think he's just the most glaring version of a problem that a lot of these people have, which is when you're talking about that ineffable like star quality that's supposed to jump out at you about someone like Rock Hudson or James Dean or Lana Turner or any of these people, and then you see people who are allegedly them and they don't have that same ineffable star quality, which I just don't think that Jake Picking. He's not like Rock Hudson. Rock Hudson, never a great actor. But if you see Rock Hudson just pop up in a movie, like I did in, uh, I was watching Bend of the River recently, and Anthony mann western from 1952, Rock Hudson has a supporting part, and you're like, holy shit, who is that guy? Oh, that's Rock Hudson. And he just, he doesn't have that charisma. A lot of these people just don't have that charisma. For sure.
1: I mean, it is a Netflix original.
0: Right. I understand it's not the real Rock Hudson. I get that.
1: Yeah, they couldn't – Peter Cushing him into the movie or into the TV show. God forbid. What's your theory about Netflix craft behind this show? Oh,
0: this I mean, this is the antithesis of like what I believe about movies, but I think this show is better if you're only half paying attention. I think if you really lock in, um, there's something about the Zooms – And the way that the music, like the horn lines, will just like, bow, bow, like strike up at the most sudden time to like make you look up from your phone and realize that something is happening, that if you are actually locked in paying attention, I felt, I felt a little bit insane. Like, this is so steroidal, this, like, this is not how you, this is not how you make one of these shows, but it is if you're trying to get people to look up every five seconds.
1: I wonder why they don't just do these things weekly because like this seemed perfect for that in it, it, it having those sort of cliffhangers every episode yeah. or that moment where you like want to know what the next thing is. Like, wouldn't you want to keep pulling people back?
0: But I also think that uh cliffhanger is just as good for getting people to press play on the next one. Right.
1: But what's the purpose of that chance just to rot our
0: brains? I don't think we should think too hard about the uh, ethics of Netflix content. <laughs> I'm going to be a grouch a lot of times during this, so I'm just going to toss it out. What do we think about sort of the general playing field of a show being like, okay, here's our cast structure. Eight ingenues and six wily vets. <laughs> Did it ever get like a little samey for you?
1: Yeah, where's the middle management there? Yeah. This show, The show lacks conflict which is something i kind of oh like about it in in some ways sure um it but goes it, down it easy. it doesn't have yeah it doesn't have your um pete campbell like it needs the like conniving bad guy who like fucks up the bigger thing people are working on and it thinks for a second that it's old sheldon but old sheldon's just a wily vet
0: i think it also thinks for a second that's that it's, that it's uh, samara weaving's claire when we first meet her, sure. it's like, oh, she'll do anything to get this part. And she's actually, I love the acting that she's doing. We liked her in uh, Ready or Not quite a bit. Oh, um, i go nuts. But the way she's kind of like posturing her lips and she's like almost practicing for her auditions just as she like walks around interacting with people is very late 40s Femme Patel.
1: She's pretty credible. Yeah. She looks like someone who would have been cast in that era. Yeah, a lot of turns. She has those very like striking features. Um, Yeah, I think that's a good piece of casting. And in in retrospect, another
0: really good thing that happens in two, which I can't say I loved it at the time, but when I was to consider the totality of the show, I was like, that is one of the smarter moments, is you see Camille, Laura Harrier, a, a black actress, trying to go out for the same parts As the the white actors, and you kind of see her trying to mine more out of this sort of like housekeeper role, or like uh, you know the the woman she works for in the movie is kind of like fainting, and she's Camille's talking to the director of like, well, why would I come in with this like sort of uh, hammy vaudevillian like black stereotype? Um, She's I've worked with her for years, wouldn't I behave more normally? And the director's like. If you alter a single line, I will fire you. Which that's some of the conflict and some of the uh, kind of cruel wisdom that I think the rest of the show might be missing in spots.
1: Well, that's the sort of magic trick of this show, right? Is that the first half of it gives you this very like stark, real, like, this is what like Jim Crow era Hollywood looked like for mm-hmm. people of color. And then it like, Undoes all of it systematically
0: in the most fantastical way.
1: Let me throw out a, a theory for you early here in that, do you think this TV show streaming thing exists in that same? I mean, it's got to be a commentary in the same space as like a Once Upon a Time in Hollywood.
0: Yeah, and I have a, I have a joke ready for that because it's a incredible ready-made comparison it but this show goes so much further we're like once upon a time in Hollywood tries to imagine in great detail like somebody's version of that era and then like twists one major thing at the end right the Manson family goes to the wrong house if Q- it's just
1: the devs episode where <laughs> one thing changes.
0: If QT had gone, like, as far as Ryan Murphy goes, Sharon Tate would have not only not died, but she would have, like, been elected been president, president by, instead yeah. of Donald Trump.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, maybe in all that deleted footage we've yet to see that's going to allegedly be released as a Netflix thing, uh, she will be president. Sure. Yeah, I mean, these are mostly real people, but then a lot of like not real people. And then a lot of choices that these real people didn't make that is funny. I was reading an article about it earlier that Slate did about how because it gives these stories to fictional people, it's actually kind of robbing the actual moments where these things happened.
0: Yeah, that's I was reading... That's a Sam Adams story, which I i do really happen to agree with especially as we get into the later episodes
1: um this is not a good thing to think too deeply about let's say that up front
0: if you go deeper about like who this fantasy is trying to placate and how it's troubling
1: yeah it is kind of troubling but it's also troubling how watchable that is sure and there is something highly watchable about that dynamic of the ingenues and the wily vets. Can we talk about the latter totally. for a sec? Interesting choice casting, uh, famed theater director Joe Mantello as Dick Samuels. God, I just was. Do you think that uh, Stanley Tucci like wasn't available? Like, why go Joe Mantello here? It's more or less the same role as the the Devil Wears Prada.
0: It's true. And Holland Taylor plays Ellen Kincaid who's also a sort of studio power She's player. She great. more works with the actors.
1: Isn't it great and refreshing that a show uses a you know has an actress play a role where a a woman over 50 has a sex life?
0: Yeah, I like that.
1: This show does a lot of those like box-checking things that it's maybe that's what's so good but, like so watchable about it. If you've ever thought X should do Y to represent someone differently in ho- like Hollywood or TV, this show certainly does it.
0: Yeah, I think what's troubling though is maybe that notion of should. Like it is still interesting for Ellen Kincaid to fall in love with like this crazy gas station uh, madame <laughs> played by Dylan McDermott. Um, but I think in sometimes it does feel like box ticking. Let's, let's get deeper into the show and we'll, we'll talk about it more. Can we go to episode yeah. three? Please. I'm angry. I'm scared. But what I'm not is surprised.
1: I will not live in fear. Fuck these white people in charge. They don't play fair, so why should we? It ain't about whether you win or lose. What's important is being in the room.
0: So episode three brings a lot of these people together. At a uh, a backyard party at George Kukor's house. George Yeah. Cukor. Wait, doesn't
1: episode two end with the... Which is the episode that ends with uh, old Sheldon asking Rock Hudson if he can suck his dick?
0: That is the end of two, yeah.
1: Okay. So that's in the mix now.
0: Yes. There's um, a lot
1: of... Every like wink and Hollywood legend is played out here to the most sexual degree. That's an undercurrent here as well. Sure. Or just the current. More earlier than later. Yeah. But definitely in episode three.
0: Yeah, so this all kind of comes together. Uh, George Cukor, who directed Philadelphia Story and My Fair Lady and just a, a bunch, a bunch of uh, talky light comedies. He directed the original Little Women. But yeah, he has these parties where, like, the first half is the most powerful figures in Hollywood, and then the second half is a very like freeing, unbridled, um, like sex party between right
1: men only men, I think right. The women leave, and then the men are busted in. <laughs> it's
0: yeah, it's like USC football players looking
1: to. There
0: was make a something. Few bucks and- in-
1: It reminded me a lot of the like when they go to that hotel in Boiler Room, just like (laughs) bussing in these like identical, good looking, soon to be rich guys.
0: Sure, sure.
1: This really to me is episode three, the Henry Wilson episode. Can we like unpack that character?
0: Yeah. So Jim Parsons plays this, uh, he starts out as an agent who becomes a producer, Um, but Henry Wilson was real. And he had this pattern with his clients from Tab Hunter to Rock Hudson of kind of entrapping these gay young men, entering a relationship with them and kind of uh, blackmailing them into his stable of people. And then this show posits like also prostituting them out to get other people within his blackmail clutches. Not a good guy and a very... um, I think like I don't know if I want to say that I didn't know Jim Parsons had this in him. Like it's a very committed, upsetting performance for most of it.
1: <laughs> it's funny because he's he's playing it for laughs too. And at some points you like don't know if you are supposed to laugh. And I like laughed quite a bit.
0: Dude, there's so much of this show where I'm like, is this supposed to be funny? Cause they are just like everyone is being so mean to each other and they're
1: pausing like I'm
0: supposed to laugh, but I'm not quite laughing.
1: (laughs) There's this funny moment in the interaction uh, at the end of episode two. Sorry to double back. Yeah. Where he, he tells rock that rock is like put off by the implication that he thinks he's that Henry thinks he's gay. And like, this is like a a guy who can be called rock. Like he kind of like trudged in there. Yeah. And of course Jim Parsons sees through it and he's like, please, I knew you were when you swished in here. (laughs) He does have this funny there. He, he sees through like the bullshit and knows how the sausage gets made.
0: Right. So Jim Parsons did an interview about like, how he really like wanted to get away from playing Sheldon, and this is quite a ways away from playing Sheldon, but he talked about how he is almost using it like, as a way to test himself because he really wants to play Roy Cohn, and Henry Wilson is a lot like Roy Cohn, but um, having se- recently seen like that documentary, Where's My Roy Cohn, there is like a deadness to that man a sociopathic deadness that is just frankly not interesting because there's nothing going on behind the eyes other than a, you know, a dry, cold malevolence. And I also kind of get that out of the Henry Wilson character. And then it's super weird when the show like tries you to get you to buy into his like captain Quint speech about the guy that he lost.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I think it's an interesting performance that's, maybe the most notable of anyone here, you know, I, if this show gets nominated for like a supporting actor, golden globe or something, or Emmy, uh, he'd be the obvious person to single out. But I also think this movie, I mean, if we can skip ahead a little bit, like after this episode, which I would say is the climax of his sins, at least in the sexual power dynamic way uh it then begins making excuses for we need this guy to grease the wheels
0: yeah it's um this show has a hard time like letting anyone just like be bad like some people yeah. can just be bad like you said it's very for a show that's all about overcoming some of the greatest conflicts in american history and media history there is very little conflict
1: very little conflict and if there ever is like a scene of violence like when that reporter gets beat up it's like set to big band
0: yeah <laughs> is that in uh... <laughs> oh yeah that's in episode five i gotta talk about that too um okay can we jump to four we will not be bullied this is just the beginning we aren't just making a movie
1: we're making history
0: And the winner is. So now we have screen tests for the movie Peg that uh, Raymond Ainsley is making. Um, And you have four actors like vying for the two main parts. You've got Rock Hudson, you've got Jack, you have Claire, and you have Camille. This movie is going to get held up because Rob Reiner is like a, a, he loves money and he doesn't much care for people who aren't white. So he tries to like shut down the production right away. He's like, there's no way we're writing this, we're making this movie.
1: What are you about to I say? I don't know that he, I think it's the opposite of that. I don't know that he doesn't like people that are white. I think he thinks that pe- he doesn't know how to make money from people who aren't white.
0: I mean, it's a purely
1: capitalist for sure. Surprise, yeah. I'm not saying he's a good person, though even even the fucking asshole <laughs> studio exec has a has a turn by the end.
0: <laughs> oh my god.
1: Bum, um, bum, 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 bum. And he's dead
0: and we're gonna make the movie.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well so then of course at the end of episode four he has a heart attack, and the fact that they were gonna take Archie off the his name off the picture and not let uh Camille screen test is now gone.
0: Yep. Um, keep it moving. Keep it moving.
1: What I think is interesting, too, doubling back a little bit onto, like, the Henry Wilson Weinstein question is the fact that Ryan Murphy had, like, the sort of sick wink to cast uh, Mira Sorvino as, like, the actress that was put on a shelf. Yeah. I just don't quite understand why if he's going to make a movie that like is sympathetic towards the white pieces of jello that have like held together or kept, you know, real talented people from making it 70 years ago.
0: I think yeah, I think it's yet another thing that feels like superficially um maybe table turning and inspirational, but then you like look at it deeper and you're like why? So like this should have been easy for this for gene 80 years ago it wasn't 30 years ago right. it wasn't 20 years ago
1: that's what i guess like episode four to five here i didn't quite like get what like it wasn't an alternate universe that was that interesting
0: i it's funny you say that because i actually think four and five are some of the best episodes of the show because i think the show is kind of naturally turning toward this genre play that makes more sense, which is it becomes a hustle for the right reasons. Like, can sure. this black actor, black writer, um, gay actor, female studio head, half Filipino director, Um, Chinese American supporting actor, like, can they really get this movie in under the wire of Rob Reiner waking up and Henry Wilson, not like ruining it for them. Um, and I think like those are like that to me, like makes sense. Like all the time we do, we tell inspirational stories via like a, an understood genre convention like that. It's when the show turns into this total, like, something as far-fetched as, I don't know, like it's just like Star Wars or something by the end. It's crazy. Um, but anyway, I like these two episodes, like especially when you're just like doing Hollywood shit, like them training in the gym and doing like the old school, like Jack LaLanne tricep pulls off the wall. That was some of my favorite stuff in the show.
1: Yeah. And when they like start getting the job, like getting the parts and celebrating that. I like this And everybody tests. coming together. But this is the, If this show were better, this would be the moment at which we, like, lose a supporting character who, like, we liked but didn't get a part and then, like, goes off. Yeah, there's too many characters. Yeah, this show's too afraid to, like, kill anyone, either narratively or literally. Right. At least until the end when it becomes convenient to do so. Um, But this is the moment where, for me, it just became, like, process porn. Oh, it's yeah. It's just like a season of. Do you ever watch that uh, that show that's uh, a spinoff of that movie, Get Shorty? I Chris O'Dowd and love Ray the movie. Romano? I've never seen the show. The show is essentially this set now where yeah. it's like they have this property that they're trying to develop and things keep getting in their way. And of course, like most of their funding has come from uh, the mob, like the Mexican cartel.
0: Oh, sure. Um so. I don't know man I like that I like that was my favorite.
1: Part. Of course we but like how how like good is that? I guess it's entertaining to watch them make a movie.
0: I love well, people. I love things about watching movies. I also think
1: that the process driven stuff
0: has the opportunity to differentiate people and by the time this show is over I think one of the absolute greatest ironies about this being one of the most identity politics driven shows I've ever seen it's like everyone is the same. They all like ended in the same place where it's just like you are rewarded for being your race or sexuality. But like, I don't know like that person very they- well, nor do they really seem like writers or actors or these specific things. I thought a lot about Bad and the Beautiful, um, which that Kirk Douglas movie we mm. recently watched when watching Of this. course I remember. And there's, you know, those characters are so different like, different and distinct, and everyone has the job, and the writer carries himself much different than the producers. And I think a weird kind of thing that happens is just like, is there that much difference between, like what a supporting actor does and what the director does? Like, I don't see it. Is there that much difference between the way Archie behaves and the way Camille behaves? Not really. I think we end up in some weird, like nether world where we've come full circle where instead of being like, No, not stereotypes like black people should not be treated that way. But like, I still didn't end up with a dimensional human. I ended up with someone. The big takeaway about them was their race.
1: I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that. I think what the problem is, is that because the show goes off into this fantasy land of like, what would happen if when plied with slightly more pressure than history actually plied them with white people said yes instead of no but they say yes in every circumstance so much so that they're the only conflict and they're so easy to overcome that like nobody actually achieves anything they just like s- ask a lot of questions and all the answers are yes
0: this shows lack of understanding that like systemic injustice can and has been arguably much worse than individual prejudice creates like a weird, a weird alternate reality.
1: Well, it's, I mean, it's what they do to the movie peg that they turn into Meg and she doesn't jump. Like there's never the moment where we actually lose someone on screen or they succumb to the societal pressure that has kept that population from doing the thing that that character represents doing.
0: That's exactly what I'm trying to say. And that's at the end of that Sam Adams piece too. You know, Hattie McDaniel, played by Queen Latifah, has this has this speech about like what happened where she was barred from collecting her or being seated in the theater at the Oscars when she won best supporting for Gone with the Wind. And she tells Camille to, you know, don't take that shit. And the, in the slate piece, he was just like, yeah, she stood up for herself. If only Hattie McDaniel had thought of that.
1: If only she had thought of yelling fire.
0: Right. The absence of conflict
1: becomes suspicious at some point. It's not just a style choice. It's not a style choice. Like, I mean, even getting towards the... I mean, this is the... Should we move to the next episode?
0: Vivian, I'd like to introduce you to a client. This is Rock Hudson. Hello. So I take it you're in Gone with the Wind? Yes, Are you fucking kidding? She's goddamn Scarlett O'Hara, you fucking hayseed.
1: So, six, Rob Reiner wakes up, decides he's not a racist homophobe anymore, makes love to his wife, and promptly dies. Yeah. Which does nothing for the plot other than put them exactly where they were, except for this like half hour window in which they. Burn the print of the movie.
0: That was the point I was waiting for. It's like, where is the power that be finally gonna swing the fucking hammer? And not because like I wanted to see that happen to these characters that I'm allegedly supposed to have affection for, but like the uh, uh, conflict um the way that the rest of the world like behaves when you revolt like this.
1: Yeah, God, I really did like the uh, the old editor guy.
0: Oh, Harry, he's fantastic.
1: Yeah, it's sort of interesting where this – you can feel like the legs on this thing really starting to tire. And it's just like, okay, how am I going to tie this thing together? And then it starts feeling like people start dropping like flies just to like serve parts. This is the episode two where we find out that it's not just a two-year cough because he smokes a thousand cigarettes (laughs) a day. In fact, yeah. In fact, Ernie Dylan McDermott has the cancer. Right. He could be alive two more months. He could be alive two more years. But at some point, he's going.
0: It's uh, He doesn't
1: go, though. Spoiler alert, <laughs> he's alive through the duration of this movie. Ernie, this TV show.
0: Ernie really shines uh, in this episode, too, because he ends up getting cast by Ellen Kincaid, the Holland Taylor character, in Meg. Because once they decide that she shouldn't kill herself, they need to reverse this thing where... So Peg kills herself because she gets cut out of a movie that she was supposed to star in. But here you have Ernie playing basically a David O. Selznick stand in who stands up against the Hayes code and is just like, no, she's staying in the picture. And then that news arrives eventually to, to help save Meg. Um, but he's incredible. It's uh, like you said, it's great. Like, um, I have to act acting and also like a funny trope of the show is like the first take is no good. And they're like, do it this way, and the second take is allegedly incredible.
1: <laughs> yeah, nothing. It just takes a little good directing uh, to push those actors in the right way.
0: Makes me feel like we should do every podcast episode twice.
1: Yeah, this is our. This is just our first take. You should just be we like, got sixty-seven more of these to go.
0: Chance next time, do it a little smarter, and then I'm just like amazing.
1: Yeah, this reminds me though of so as much as I'm satisfied to see Dylan McDermott get this chance to finally live his dream of being in a motion picture. You got to go back though to the I guess it's episode 4 where he's like I was hanging out with Vivian Lee and she said I could be in I could be on Broadway with her do meet Tennessee Williams and do uh, uh, what was the streetcar named desire? Yeah. And then I had dreams too, kid and like all that stuff and he has that speech outside when all the guys quit. Um
0: Yeah, we're nearly 5 hours in and we're still learning that characters have dreams.
1: I mean, this is more or less a movie that runs five and a half hours long. The first movie I've ever watched that it played out what if every character got exactly what they deserved that you encountered in this movie. Much in the way the gas station connects all of Hollywood, it seems, you like have to go down these little passageways with... like. Oh, so Dylan McDermott's gonna get a chance to act by the end of this thing? What about the lady in her, her 60s who like needs to hook up with a guy for this narrative to wrap up? Can we put those two together? Let's do it.
0: Yeah, it's funny, like, two to say every character gets what they deserve. It's like, if if it's not what they cosmically deserve, we're about to get a plot line so what they deserve changes so that it's a positive. For sure. I mean, that's what happens to Henry, for sure. Um episode six question for you what is your mileage on actually watching scenes from the film Meg that they're making because we spend some time on I that. would
1: have I would have just preferred to just watch Meg I think I can get on board with that um I like the the idea that Ryan Murphy would make the movie he wished they made in 1947.
0: I would so much rather watch that than this.
1: That's like what Steven Soderbergh tried to do with *The Good German*. I mean, terrible movie, but like an interesting, uh, an interesting swing. And this too, like we're starting to get into the point where, like the moralizing is also like hitting a weird key, like it's ramping up the hard. Burning crosses on the lawn, but like nobody gets injured. And they put out the Molotov cocktail before it explodes. Right. And, uh, of course the first phone, like f- phone call that she gets after it becomes public in the trades that, uh, Camille got this role, uh, it's from Queen Latifah playing Hattie McDaniel, real person. And then of course the second one is like someone saying the N word. Right. But yeah, it's so weird how society's rebellion against this thing is more or less, uh, boo. Yeah. <laughs> and again literally i literally know more than like if you have a thousand people in an auditorium 15 of them were very upset about all this
0: i mean yeah like let's i think it just bears repeating so like the Hayes code gets a lot of name checking in this you know why people didn't like directly like create affronts like open affronts to the Hayes code because they would have lost their jobs and they're like movies right. and they and they did and it like you know later feeds into some blacklisting and anti-communist sentiment and all of these things and like the Hayes code was not something you could just be like i'm not doing that and then like the studio right. system in america would be like great um and so, but this
1: move this this show not only you can't both critique the Haze Code and then be like something that kind of subscribes to a like a, a woke 2020 Haze Code.
0: I don't know if I'd go that far.
1: Well, I think that's more of like the box checking that you're talking about is like this show is a show about how you like what things you have to you have to change history in order to check all the boxes of the things we want to watch.
0: I also really wish that... Uh, I don't think I've said enough about um, Laura Harrier. I really like her performance. I think the movie and a movie performance that Camille is giving is is really interesting. And yeah, if there were just four fewer characters. Because Darren Chris is Raymond, the director, like, holy shit does he not matter at all by the end.
1: No, he's just there to, like, enter rooms and, like, shake his fist, either excited or happy or, like, pissed.
0: Do we got to go to episode seven?
1: Episode seven is certainly my least favorite episode, but let's go to it. Good thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: thank you very much, everyone. Bob, you don't mind, yeah, if, you're, if you've been baffled about, like, any of these political questions, watching 17 minutes of a fake Oscars where they just win everything.
1: It's safe for best supporting actor. That's true. It was sound design.
0: It wasn't the straight white guy's time. And I get that. It's it wasn't his night. Definitely not my time either.
1: Um, Chance. Do you think if we were alive in 1947, you'd be like living in rural, like what will be Omaha or something like Omaha existed in
0: 1947.
1: I don't know that like Elkhorn or wherever you were raised <laughs> oh, would have I see. been I see. paved at that point. No, you're the right. point I'm trying to make is when we were like in our little shacks or whatever, after a hard day's work in the fields, do you think we would come on, come into the house and sort of <laughs> sit by the glowing radio and listen to how boring the Oscars were for movies that we'd probably never seen and like been inspired by it?
0: Honey, honey, quiet down. I think gentlemen's agreement is going to get walloped tonight by this fake picture. <laughs>
1: Don't forget to fill out your uh, your ballot. Give mm. me 5 cents.
0: <laughs> We're pretty glued to the Oscars every year against our better judgment. Like we would both openly admit that watching the Oscars like after a certain point is very boring. Watching yeah. fake Oscars
1: and fake Oscars too with like not that interesting of like weird casting. Like there's no like weird Humphrey Bogart lookalike. Like you got to get Edmund Gwen up there as Santa Claus. Like, you know, see if we can't like digital, you know, Irishman him into the frame or something. That'd be nice. There is a famous episode from the, that Oscars in which when he won, Natalie Wood like ran over to him and didn't recognize him because he didn't have his beard.
0: His co-star from Miracle on 34th Street, for those who don't know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: which he wins, he wins the Oscar for.
0: That's right. I appreciated the joke about, but show that,
1: show that episode though. Like, give us a few more. I wanted a few more. Like, wink. This happened in real life, or like, wink. Like the as much as you change some outcomes, like the universe still pushes us in a another direction but this show's like nope everything's great nothing bad happened all the good stuff happened to the good people and the bad people they got redeemed and good stuff happened to them too
0: even going into episode seven i was like okay so they made the movie how is it going to get Buried by history and be this like Interesting artifact of this like Insurrectionary time when ten people banded Together to do something amazing that was buried In the racist dust pile and for this movie To be like no this movie Was essentially like A Ben-Hur level Success
1: (laughs) It's the Citizen Kane of movies
0: From the accolades Meg would be like in the AFI top 100 they'd be talking about it on Spooled Right now um
1: yeah, Amy Nicholson would be just like, you know, it's kind of boring. No, nah, she'd probably love it.
0: <laughs> she'd like it. Um but yeah, it's just so this this episode is like the Sharon Tate gets elected president thing. It's And then and at the end they have the audacity to say that the these people have changed so many minds. That the gay clientele at the golden tip stop coming because the social mores of Los Angeles have been changed by Archie and Rock holding hands at the Oscars. Right. It's like this weird thing of like being surprised, but also I'm just like, well, they're not going to win best picture. And then I'm also on the other side of my brain being like, well, I don't care if they win best picture. <laughs> what
1: does this it matter? isn't real. <laughs> This didn't happen.
0: It's the day it's the classic Dave Chappelle bit about uh, people like trying to call Indiana Jones and why they have to say 555 in movies like it's he, he's not real. It's not his number. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but people uh,
0: just refuse to understand that.
1: I got to say I don't know that I wish this was real. Like I do wish that movies and American society was integrated much earlier than it was. But I don't know that this is the history lesson I would choose to replace our current one.
0: I'll tell you what, I think the best argument for why Ryan Murphy did this and the best apology for the lunacy was in going through some of the online comparative pieces of like, what was real versus this or like the benchmark that allegedly happened in 1947 with the fictional Camille. When did the first black woman win best actress it's Halle Berry in the early 2000s. And and that disparity is so ridiculous that there is a part of me that cannot. Like, our the film industry is so prejudiced and the deck is so stacked against people that I guess maybe that is the best apology for doing this, right? Like, it's so insane that a black actor didn't win a Best Actress Oscar for 60 more years.
1: I feel like I'm with the show... One through six and seven, it's almost like the, I mean, it's that stupid Netflix thing of being like the after episode of Love is Blind or Tiger King. Right. You know, it's That's like true, me, that seventh episode. <laughs> like one through six, we're fine. But I'm glad that it's a monumental moment for, it's just a moment for too many things in one night.
0: Yeah, it's crazy.
1: And it loses sight of like, well, what would the point even be? And then it makes it seem like, well, these things are trivial anyway if they could all just happen on one night, mm-hmm. which undoes the progress that has been made, doesn't it? I mean, it doesn't undo it, but it definitely like critiques it in an unpleasant Trivializes way. Trivializes it. Yes, exactly.
0: So this is something I – my last point on this before we stop talking about this show for maybe ever. Forever. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is that the language – That people use Like the acceptance speeches given on that night In fake 1947 Are so much 2020 2020 victory speeches About representation That I actually think they deny Complexity to these characters Listen, here's Anime Wong giving an interview The real person In 1933 I was so tired of the parts I had to play why is it that the screen Chinese is nearly always the villain of the piece, and so cruel a villain, so murderous, treacherous, a snake in the grass? We are not like that. How should we be with a civilization that's so many times older than that of the West? We have our own virtues. That interview from a hundred years ago displays so much more complexity <laughs> than like what is yes. shoved into the mouth of these fake characters. Um, yes, they're simplified. They're tokens. This sucks. Right.
1: Yeah, you're right.
0: I didn't think I was going to get so worked up about it. But
1: <laughs> no. And it's it's such a pacifier, too, that you almost kind of resent the people who do like this show because of they think it must be real or something or it gives them some semblance of comfort. But these things did not happen.
0: I'm with you, here's the giant grain
1: of salt. I cannot,
0: of course, viscerally or experientially understand the pain of the lack of my own representation and the being shut out and shut out and shut out over and over again. So if somebody did want to come back, a person of color or a, a queer person and say, this actually did feel like some sort of at least emotionally corrective balm that I enjoyed it in a way that you never could, I would respect that. But intellectually, I think it's bankrupt.
1: I mean, like, this should be, you know, plot-wise, this is like four seasons of television. Like, you don't resolve all this shit in six and a half episodes and then, like, call it a day and call it a miniseries. Like, that's maybe what's most upsetting about it is that it's both nearly six hours long and also feels super rushed. That's true. Like, if they were going to make like a wire type show where they focus on like one aspect of, you know, how Hollywood overcame X thing, even if it is fictionalized, like give that specific thing the nuance and the like narrative tension that it deserves instead of being lumped in with all like the things Hollywood then gets critiqued for not doing.
0: Anything to say against the all powerful God of Netflix? I feel like too much and rushed is. What they do. Yeah. In a big way. This, I'm generalizing. There's a ton of good shit on Netflix, but also, come on, a lot of it's too much and rushed.
1: This should have been a movie and or like the first season of something more interesting. Um, but yeah, even with all the talent there, I mean, that's what you go for is the talent. You go to see Patty LuPone like fucking own and Dylan McDermott own... And like these young, beautiful people that you saw on FX a few years ago that now have made the transition to streaming be beautiful the way they were when you left them. And then the fucking guy from Big Bang Theory, you know, talk about sucking dick.
0: (laughs) Here's the last thing I'll say about it I think that a show like this, perhaps. Of course, overcorrects the past, but maybe underestimates the problems of the present. If you have this many resources, as Ryan Murphy does, and this much talent, I think it is still much more worth your while to tell new, modern, cutting-edge stories with this level of representation than to pretend something else was something else. These resources could be used better to continue to change the problematic world we live in now.
1: Wow. You really figured it out, didn't you, Chance? Movies are dead, streaming is king. Thank you all for listening. (laughs)